Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 9, issue 421. And today we're going to talk about Uncharted, The Lost Legacy. And joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 421 are Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Jay Taylor. Hello. And Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Good afternoon. It is indeed at the time of recording. That's irrelevant. Uh, from the critically acclaimed developer behind such hits as The Last of Us and Uncharted 4 A Thief's End comes a thrilling new voyage of high-octane action and pulse-pounding peril in order to recover a fabled ancient Indian artefact, Ganesh's tusk, and keep it out of the hands of a ruthless war profiteer. Chloe Fraser must enlist the aid of renowned mercenary Nadine Ross, last seen in Uncharted 4 A Thief's End. Together they'll venture deep into the mountains of India, learn to work together to unearth the mystery of the artefact, fight their way through fierce opposition and prevent the region from falling into chaos. Spoilers. Uh, they, um, yes, so this is a third-person action platform stealth shooter puzzler kind of <laughs> yep. affair, modern AAA gay game. And uh, from the forum, we have Caliburn M, who says, a shortened Uncharted game, but still on a par with its predecessors, Great characters, writing, etc., and the same gameplay. If you like the other Uncharted games, you should play this. Not worth saying more, as I'm sure we all know the Uncharted formula by now. So all that remains for me, Leon Cox, is to thank Jay, Josh, and Brian for joining me. I mean, you could we could do that, but I think there's probably more that's to be said about Naughty Dog's uh, adjunct, as it such as it is. So uh, The Lost Legacy was originally supposed to be released as a DLC for Uncharted 4 A Thief's End, but later the studio decided to release it as a full standalone game. However, if you owned the season pass for Uncharted 4, you received a free digital copy. Pre-ordering the game granted the player a free PS4 theme and a copy of Jack and Daxter, the Precursor Legacy for the PS4, which is one of those uh, upscaled PS2 titles, I think. And Sean Eskeg, one of the directors, said, We wanted this adventure to feature all of the hallmarks of the series, from cinematic storytelling set within exotic destinations to dynamic combat and intricate puzzles. It's our biggest story expansion to date and will be available as a standalone game on store shelves and for digital download. Sales pitch. Sony published it. And yes, Sean Eskeg was joined by Kurt Margano as the other director who is uh, somebody who also worked on Uncharted 2. But in the meantime, between working on Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3, worked on the Ghostbusters video game, the 2009 game that more recently had a remaster, and then went on to work on The Last of Us as a co-designer. The lead designer, I noted with interest, actually went on from this game to be the lead designer on a game that we recently covered. James Cooper went from... Naughty Dog, to Marvel Spider-Man and was the lead designer on that. Uh, Henry Jackman was on musical duties. We'll talk a bit more about that. And the game came out August 2017, PS4 only. The reviews were positive. 85% from 138 reviews averaged out on OpenCritic. 90% of reviewers recommended it. And the fans feel similarly on Push Square. It has an 8.7 rating and on IMDb an 8.6 from many thousands. It was nominated for a few awards at the Game Awards, Best Action Adventure Game and some Best Performance Awards uh, nominations, I should say, for Laura Bailey and Claudia. Spoiler warning. Uh, you, yeah, I mean, we've already mentioned kind of 
what the story's about. Uh, but first, as is traditional, let's talk about uh, when and how much and in what way we played the game. Obviously, it's all PS4. But uh, Brian, were you an early adopter? Did you have the season pass even? Mm, no, I didn't have the season pass, but I uh, I was certainly interested. I played Uncharted 4, and um, by the end of Uncharted 4, I, uh, which is a game I, I very much enjoyed, I still kind of felt like I was fairly done with yeah. the Uncharted kind of series mm-hmm. of franchise. So when when the this is announced as more than just a DLC, a standalone thing, I wasn't exactly interested at first. I'm sure one of those things where I kind of was like, oh, well, I'll I'll play it, you know, when it goes on sale or something like that. Um, mm. But uh, my my loving and adoring wife, I uh, have a birthday in September. It came out in, a, in August. So for my birthday, she picked up Lost Legacy for me, thinking nice. that knowing that I hadn't played it. So um, she got it for me. And so I popped it in the night of my birthday. And about 24 hours later, I had completed the game. Um, yep. So I played it all night long. And I thought about it when I slept, woke up and played the rest of it the next day. So um, I end up being sort of an early adopter about a month later. And uh I've played it. I've played it through to completion twice, um, and the final scene of the game, um, when uh, which I will not spoil right off the bat, but when uh, the main characters are looking kind of off of a set of train tracks, is still my uh, my max uh, desktop wallpaper because I oh, think right. it's just a pretty beautiful scene. So hmm. lovely, Jay. How about you? You're not normally an early adopter, but there are no. occasional exceptions. Uh, this wasn't one of them. <laughs> Uh, I borrowed this at the time. Um, well, it was a case that I got offered uh, a loan from. Uh, you know what? I'm even struggling to remember who exactly lent it me, but I've got a, a feeling kind and generous friend. <laughs> yeah, I feel it's um, the same friend who, who lent us um, God of War because where we were based at the time in Lincoln, so it's kind yeah. of there was you know few suspects. But anyway, well, if they're not listening, they won't be upset. If they yeah, are, true. they might be. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've I borrowed this. I, I, I've I've got all you know. I'm a fan of the series. I've I've I, I borrowed four as well. I have both picked them both up in the meantime. When uh, did my usual pre-owned thing because they were dirt cheap at the time. So I figured they were part. They were always games I wanted to have in the collection, so to speak. Because I feel they're of a, of a certain quality, and I kind of like Naughty Dog stuff. But um, but yeah, I played it. I guess it would have been within the first month of it coming out. Because it because it's relatively short. Even if they'd played it first, it wouldn't. Have, which I, if I'm hazy memory and all that, it was probably a case that they played it. It was really quick, and then they just passed it on to me and said, "Look, it's really short. Do you want to have a yeah. crack at it?" Mm-hmm. And yeah, I never want to turn down a game I actually want to play either. So it's like, yeah, cool. Mm. Josh, what about you? Uh, I was day one on this one. Um, mm. I, much like Brian, after Uncharted Four, I wasn't really keen on another Uncharted, just because I felt like Four did such a great job of wrapping up all the loose ends of Nathan Drake and Elena. And although I had some some minor issues with that game in terms of like pacing and uh yeah uh some filler content like the 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 story stuff i thought was fantastic and just like was such a great uh kind of full stop on the series mm-hmm. but i was really intrigued by the change of protagonist um i think if this was just like a prequel or something like that with Nathan Drake again i i would have 
uh, that would have felt a little bit, uh, I don't know, cheap or uh, or just kind of disrespectful of of what the what the the story of Uncharted Four did for Nathan Drake. But choosing Chloe, who is a character that we haven't seen for a while since Uncharted Three, and also kind of serves a similar role as Nathan Drake and hasn't been as fully explored as Nathan Drake, I thought was a really uh, fascinating choice. Um, and then the reviews started coming out, and I was like, okay, I've I've got to give this a go. Um, I've played through it from start to finish twice, and I've played through half of it again um, for mm. this recording. Yeah, I records show that I bought this for fifteen pounds in twenty seventeen. Does anyone remember how much it was when it was first launched? I, ha- I have a feeling I waited until it dropped a little. I think or... it was forty dollars in America. Yeah, okay, I think it was positive twenty. Yeah, twenty nine ninety nine, I think. Here. Or around yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, so I must have waited for the first uh, digital sale or whatever. Uh, so yes, uh, and I played it through, I think, fairly much at the time on normal, and I just rattled through it again yesterday, or Friday and Saturday, as it was, uh, in about seven hours for a second playthrough. Got a couple of extra trophies, so it was, uh, and yeah, some uh, much-needed memory refreshers as well. Uh, we covered the Uncharted games in the series. The only one that hasn't had its own show was the Golden Abyss, the Vita game. Not to say it never will, but we did talk a little about it in one of the previous shows. But if you go all the way back to Kane and Rint's Volume 2, you'll find the original game in issue 79, Uncharted 2 in 82, and Uncharted 3 in 85. And then quite some time later, in Volume 6, we did cover Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, in issue 264. But that even that's quite a long time ago now. But uh, that's the way it goes. So yeah, that scenario, the setting, the characters, the cast, the performances, the script. Let's kind of talk about all that in one go. So the whole game is set. There's uh, there's not so much globe trotting in this one. The whole thing is set in India. Uh, is it actually is it stated the name of the city? Is it real or fictional? And my apologies for missing that vital piece of information. I cannot remember, and I was just reading it this morning, too. Um, Okay, well, we've all played it multiple times, and none of us have picked (laughs) up on that. So it's India, and it starts in a town, and then you're in some spectacular countryside. We'll talk about the graphics, of course. But yeah, I suppose the first thing to talk about is the the player character, who is Chloe, who we saw before, particularly in Uncharted 2. I can't remember if she makes appearances in... She's in free briefly. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. but mainly in two. She's a little older. She's a, a somewhat uh, duplicitous and self-motivated character. She uses a combination of uh, her sexual appeal and her skills with gun and fists to get by. She's basically a, a Nathan Drake in women's clothes. Um, that's that's why I related to her so much, Leon. Yeah. I just use my, my sexual appeal and my uh, knowledge of guns <laughs> as an American just to you know, really uh, influence every You're overflowing so. with both. <laughs> uh, but it's revealed in this that she's... Uh, so Claudia Black, who is an Australian actor, plays her. In it's, I, I can't remember if her origins revealed before, but in this, the backstory is set that she, is, uh, she was moved to Australia as a young kid, but she's actually at least half Indian on her father's side, I think, is he, the yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her father was on this uh, quest... Of course, it's kind of, again, it's kind of similar to the the sort of uh, the Indiana Jones, Lara Croft, Nathan Drake story in that father was on a quest and now 
she sort of picks up the legacy, but she's obviously um, she's well honed, skilled, trained, and experienced in the the ways of treasure hunting and archaeology, but not in the realistic sense, in the movie sense. So yeah, Chloe, uh, appealing anti-hero protagonist. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, she certainly wears her um, kind of duplicitous nature on her sleeve, as you say. True. It's 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 tough to, I think, really convey it that thoroughly in, in what is a kind of a shorter experience of a game. But you kind of get her nature right off the bat. I mean, she, the the first couple interactions with her is, you know, the the beginning of the game is with the with the young girl in the village. So she's obviously a, a kind hearted, you know, um, like, you know, sympathetic character who who has kind of the best interest of those around her at heart. And then you transition to her kind of sneaking into the village and and kind of doing things her own way, kind of not really caring who around her. She so that kind of, you know, Han Solo in a different, you know, cloak kind of uh, character, um, which is a character that I a, a character type that I just I love to to play with because you, you kind of know going in that um, what you see at your face value is not always what you're going to get so it, it, it does kind of keep you guessing about her motivations mm. yeah i think i read somewhere suggestion that her moral compass is slightly more wayward than nathan drake's okay yeah yeah i think she's way more uh morally morally flexible in uncharted 2 than she is here she does like yeah. especially towards the end of this game like she says some something along the lines of um, I'm tired of walking away, like indicating that she's grown, like she's gone past that point in her life where she would just kind of leave people to die and suffer. And she, she actually does something unnecessary for once, like she, and not self-motivated. She actually tries to stop that train at the end yeah. because, mm-hmm. uh, because of, um, you know, altruistic motivation. So she has evolved, but like, I just, I just, yeah, like Brian, I find, um, I find this character really, really engaging. And a, a lot of it, um, a lot of the credit goes to Claudia Black's um, portrayal. She has such a, an easy kind of relaxed charisma um, with this performance. And I, I, there are a couple of moments with her and Nadine, Nadine um, and that feel like. Um, they were improved by by the two performers, uh, t- mm. two performers, Laura Bailey and Claudia. But there's that one bit I just absolutely love is where they they you know narrowly escape the uh, the the um, uh, one building kind of collapsing. They get to the top, they exhausted, they try to high five each other, miss, yeah. and there's the oh that that's I'm so embarrassed for you. That's terrible. <laughs> I was wondering if that was written or uh, presumably they they did the performances together in the way that we know Naughty Dog prefers to do it. Yeah, it it felt too, I don't know, like the the energy of that moment felt so off the cuff that if it is scripted, then, you know, credit to those two actors. That's a brilliant piece of acting. But yeah, but like allowing for that kind of chemistry to happen naturally, if it is improvised, is credit to Naughty Dog as well. It's just, I, I love the way these two interact with each other. Well, yeah, so Laura Bailey, and there was some controversy because she's a white American actress yeah. playing a black or mixed race, uh, mixed heritage uh, South African in this game. I mean, aside from those issues, 
which I think that was, controversy came in with four though, didn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, time- yeah, yeah, for sure. It was, yeah. it was. Uh, I mean, but whether it was successfully addressed or not in in the minds of everyone, I don't know. Um, personally, it's not something I do have a huge issue with, but I can understand why there are issues with casting uh, white actors yeah. as black characters. I, th- I but- think this is a situation where it can be both. Like, I think Laura mm. Bailey's performance is really, really great, and I like, I mm. really like Nadine as a character. I do mm. think going forward, I hope Naughty Dog actually cast uh, people of color in character for characters who are people sure. of color. Yeah, yeah, but it th- wasn't the their answer at the time was she was originally designed as a white character. Yeah, absolutely. Change, but so- I-, I hope, I hope what I'm saying is, yeah, yeah, there's a lesson to be learned. Is all I'm saying is yeah. like going forward, be be more sensitive about that kind yeah. of thing. Um, but Nadine as a character, yeah. So again, even more so than Chloe, arguably. Is uh, and again, I know this is something that some people uh, really struggle with in all kinds of fiction, but perhaps particularly in video games, where they're they're asked to. Uh, although we don't directly control Nadine, she is part of part of a two person team. She's an AI character uh, for the for the majority of the game, who actually helps you. Uh, she marks up enemies. She kicks enemies for you. She shoots at them. Uh, she pulls levers and and does all this stuff. And there's. It's uh, it's kind of a buddy cop situation, and it even goes through the arc of them starting out not liking each other very much at all, and ending up as perhaps friends. Um, but she is a character with a really, really shady past in the sense that she was uh, head of a uh, a commercial military, a private military company who made its money from war by killing people. Is it uh, how how comfortable are we? this panel just us particular people with playing as characters who are and i know you know our james for example james carter doesn't even have any truck with playing as nathan drake because of his he he finds it very the that juxtaposition the famous ludo narrative uh conflict between chirpy laugh a minute chucklesome wisecracking nate and the mass murdering, you know, w- willing <laughs> yeah. to willing to choke out and guards even who even in situations like museum raids where they, these are people who are literally just doing their job and he's although he might not kill them he's prepared to leave them with uh, PTSD and life changing injuries from you know m- brain trauma and again I get <laughs> yeah. some people will listen to this and think oh for goodness sake it's just uh, a silly popcorn video game but. There are people who feel that way, so I'm I'm interested in how each of you feels as regards to being these, yeah, uh, morally ambiguous, well, I, at best protagonists. Yeah. I mean, they're interesting because PMCs are a real thing; they they mm-hmm. exist in the real world. Most Hideo Kojima likes to talk about them. Yeah, but a lot of write about like them. when you if you read about them, there's a lot of you know every kind of major company in the Middle East has a, a private military contractor to basically protect its staff. So a lot of the time they're acting as bodyguards. They're just hired guns to a large extent. They're not necessarily like war criminals going in, killing, burning villages down and stuff like that. That's mm. not really what happens. So I feel like, you know, uh, what's interesting with this character is that they she's kind of been forced out of the company that she has. And that causes that's that's for like little plot points between her and the guy who's taken over from her with the company Orca. And, it, and that's kind of interesting because she feels he's that kind of person who would literally 
do whatever's necessary to make a make the money. Sure. And he's the one selling arms and and stuff like that. Whereas that's something that's a line she would never cross. Mm. And I think we got that impression with um with Uncharted Four that that she had lines drawn that she wouldn't cross. She would often tell I forget what the the what the main antagonist in Uncharted Four's name was, but she would often reprimand him if you know and put him in his place as well as Drake and Sap. You know, it was like. So I feel she's always been this nuanced character, and I mean, they they clearly had designs from her, but the way they left her open in in four, you know, and where she kind of bests everybody in that she literally leaves them to it because she gets tired of their games and their crap and just you know leaves them to figure it out. Mm. Um, so I always kind of like the character. I warm to the character in four, and and I feel like. Adding the dynamic with her and Chloe in this is is, is, is a kind of a touch of genius, really, because these are two exceptional characters in their own right. Yeah. I, I totally view the entirety of the Uncharted series like an action movie, like how I have no problem with, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Commando just murdering his way through to saving his daughter and, you know, being yeah. okay with him still being a good guy. Um, I can yeah, separate sure. stuff like that, yeah. but I understand if you can't um, because... Yeah especially dealing with things like PMCs. And I, and I know uh, with Jay's take on it, um, describing them as, as corporations, uh, you know, the bodyguards, corporations and things like that. Um, that's not necessarily the, the, the viewpoint that I have on them, but I also, I'm not as well educated on them. Um, the only interactions I've had with PMCs involve uh, some relatively shady operations that operate out of America. And, um, and so, so if I were not able to separate those two things, I don't think I would be able to get enjoyment out of the game. I just happen to be able to do that, and I'm not sure why. Um, and the the you know the willing suspension of disbelief or whatever it is, but um, but yeah, I didn't have a problem with her as a character from that. What what I did have a problem with her as a character came from four, and then translated into this game, and I thought it worked really well. Is that she is that conflicted character who has lines she won't cross, but is still willing to be that gun for hire. And those two mindsets just don't sync up very well. Mm-hmm. And you can see her struggle with that. And you saw her struggle with that during four. And I think they did a wonderful job of transitioning her to this game to be this character that you could root for rather than root against. I don't think that's an easy line to draw. And I think they did a wonderful job getting there because because by the middle of this game, I mean, all I... All I wanted to do was, you know, spend time in a Jeep with Nadine and Chloe and hear the things they were talking about. And, you know, like Mm. it was um, they did a wonderful job, I think, of getting to that place. Yeah, I think they they both kind of feed off of each other because Nadine is much more like she's a brick wall. She's very straightforward, like everything like direct, direct, direct. Whereas um, Chloe is much more fluid and flexible and willing to to kind of adjust and adapt based on the situation. And I think both of them benefit from each other in that Nadine benefits from Chloe's questioning because there's a point when um, uh, in Chapter 4 where they're driving from the... uh, driving around and they're kind of solving the the temple puzzles. In the second, uh, second temple... Chloe just asks her, why are, you, why are you trying so hard to go after this? Why is this your goal? And getting Nadine to kind of question some of her, like, really, like, the, the rocks of her personality, like, why why is she doing this? And then Nadine also feeding into Chloe and, like, getting her to actually have, like, some kind of code of ethics. Even, in, even though she is, like, a morally great character, it's important for her to have something that she believes in beyond just making a quick buck 
Um, yeah, so I, I think they, they've chosen great characters. Uh, just speaking to the um, the the issue of uh, Nadine being a PMC, I think there is some validity in saying that I can I can excuse Nathan Drake's atrocities and I can excuse <laughs> Chloe's atrocities because a person like Nathan Drake doesn't actually exist. Like there is no superhuman treasure hunter archaeologist in reality. Aww. Like I You haven't met my friend Dr. Matt Pope. <laughs> oh true. Okay. Maybe maybe I'm 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 naive. <laughs> no, he's he, he's but not like, really Nathan Drake. He'd like Na- to be Indiana Jones. But. <laughs> yeah. Um but Nadine, like someone like Nadine, does exist, and uh, and I I I see what Jay is saying. Like, not not every PMC is like uh, you know committing atrocities daily, but there are PMCs that commit atrocities, um, even if it's a smaller small percentage. And I can see people bristling against you know bristling against that. That you know you take this this person that could exist and does exist. And kind of treating them lighthearted, I kind of get that. But in the same set, that it, but Laura Bailey is so charismatic that it it's it's so. And maybe this is bad, and maybe I'm a bad person mm-hmm. for this. But Laura Bailey's performance is so charismatic that it I I can just put it put it aside and and let myself suspend disbelief because the performance is so good and the character is so charming. And the third wheel um, is uh, is is a Drake. Sam returns. You see him relatively early on, and then he kind of joins up with the team for the last most of the last third of the game, something like that. Uh, I've seen. I think we've got some correspondence later saying how how much they enjoyed his presence. I kind of wish they'd left him out. Really, yeah. Personally, I feel the same way. One hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Like. I'm not saying that certainly I certainly wouldn't say that Troy Baker did a bad job or that uh that I hate the character or anything like that. I just don't think it was needed. I liked the the two women being a duo, being a team together, solving everything themselves and it's not, you know, it's not like Sam turned up and mansplained everything and was better at fighting or anything like that. Far from it. That would have been narratively disastrous <laughs> and politically uh, really clumsy but it's more just that i just felt he was he's it, i guess maybe they felt they needed a bit more light relief but actually as as josh said like the moment he's already talked about there was there was plenty of humor in among the uh the the, the bitching between the two women uh, even early on um yeah. but sam comes in and he's kind of goofy uh and and sort of changes the tone to something more akin to the lighter moments of the previous uncharted games just yeah like i don't think it was a, a a catastrophe that he's in there. I just think I would have been more interested to play the rest of the game without him personally. I kind of liked those scenes with him, and if only because it, it for me it highlighted how the two women's relationship was changing in the way that he becomes like a right. third wheel for a lot of it as well, and he's just always in the background, always trying to get you know they're kind of working uh, with each other, and he's kind of like you know like when they're passing the tusk around, and he's like, can I can I have a look at it? And it's just you know, and he's, yeah. they're just ignoring him. So to me, it was it, it, it emphasised how those two are now becoming a a team rather True. than him. It may yeah. be that some sort of certain kinds of commentators on this this sort of thing, some 
some of the sort of uh, anti-SJW types might think that, if anything, the fact that the male character is kind of a bit useless and a bit comic relief is deeply insulting. <laughs> <laughs> I I completely agree with your take on it, Leon. I, I think that, like, I was so ready <clears throat> to be done with Uncharted after Uncharted 4 ended, and then... Um, when this game started up and, and I started playing, I was really loving just the interactions of, of these characters and seeing this new protagonist. And I was fully ready to leave all the Drakes behind. I didn't need to see Elena, yeah. Sully, Sam or Nate, you know, and and Sam was just a character in Uncharted 4. And I kind of felt like he was the MacGuffin of Uncharted 4. Like, oh, he's just kind yeah. of the reason that all this stuff happens and a long lost brother after all these things, which is fine. Yeah. I, I liked Uncharted 4. I'm not here to discuss that, but it's it just felt so superfluous for something that I, I thought was a really nice and unique way to maybe branch off and do something mm. s- the same, but, but different. Yeah. And I, I, I really did not look forward to the, the interaction with him and, and not to get too close to my, to my final observation on the game. It's, it's probably the one for my personal experience. The one biggest negative I have against this game is, is that I just really felt like it could have been his, her partner could have been anybody. Now it did, it did exist to create conflict between Chloe and Nadine, which I thought was good. So using him as a way to create the, you know, oh, you're working with him. How come you didn't tell me? And kind of like to reinforce Chloe's duplicitous nature of just hiding things and not being forthright. Um, I think it was used well, and I didn't hate the performance or anything. It just, yeah, I just was ready to not to not be with the. I was just done with Drake, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. I was just done with it. I think for me, like I, I like Troy Baker's performance, and I like this character, and I like him a lot in Uncharted Four. But, and I feel like if if this inclusion was in a more regular lengthed Uncharted game, I wouldn't bristle at it as much. But I think it stands out more here because, and we'll get into this later. But Uncharted: um, Lo- The Lost Legacy. It's such a lean game, and it's so like the it it's it lacks a lot of the fat that um, previous entries in the series have, and this kind of stands out as the one bit of fat that I can point at and go, "You could have trimmed that." And um, it's it's just a shame that um, yeah, it's a shame that they felt the need to kind of bring in a character just to. It feels like fan service a little bit, not or a lack of confidence. Oh well, yeah, or a lack of confidence in in these two characters, and it's mm. not as as everyone has said already. It's not like a, a catastrophic decision. It's fine. It's it's good. He's the performance is great. But if you were going to cut one thing from this game, it would be that character, mm. which leaves us with the antagonist Asaf, played by uh, Usman Ali. I think it's so far his one and only video game role. Um, And I would say, based on uh, previous experience with Uncharted games, the the antagonist has been an... And as it is in modern Hollywood, oftentimes, antagonists who remain in the memory, who actually are sufficiently menacing and, uh, and whatever else, are hard to come by. I don't think Asav is quite there, but I think... His design, his and the performance is sort of pleasingly low key in a way to 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 a point that actually makes him. Yeah, of course he's absolutely livid by the end, and you have a big final fist fight and showdown, and by that point his hair's out of place and he's kind of spitting with fury. 
and it goes yeah, it's a bit more kind of Hollywood by that stage. But up to that point, he's, I would say, relatively restrained. And the fact that he is a bit less kind of pantomimic than some video game and even Uncharted antagonists uh, made him a little bit more intriguing to me. I liked his what his initial motivations seemed to be and how they evolved, you know, kind of seeing himself as the savior of the people. Like, it was, I think it was yeah. a pretty good representation of like a megalomaniac's descent into madness kind of thing. Um, right. If if only there were some real life representation of that happening right now. Um, but <laughs> they uh, but yes, he, he I, I did. I didn't think it was a cartoonish movie villain in the sense that maybe some and not even uncharted but just you see them a lot in in video games just by the nature of it you know, you want you want the big bad to take down and and by the end even even in that fist fight which i which is actually a a quick time event that i that i enjoy quite a bit um i think that they did just a, a good job of of dialing it back just enough to make it believable versus just kind of having you know the evil scientist trying to take over the world bit yeah, yeah. and no no supernatural element in this one right. either which uh, which again and i think was that true in i can't remember four didn't have an uh, supernatural no, element no, in the end not. either did I don't it think so. so i think they've moved away from that after the i mean the first one obviously pretty much has zombies in and the second one has uh by yeah the third by the third by the third one, they're using it as like um, as an hallucinogenic. That's gas or right. Something. Yeah. So, they, yeah. So each game has perhaps stepped a little further away yeah. from the the supernatural. Whereas, uh, whereas I'm not. Yeah, I'm trying to think about the the different various Tomb Raider games, um, and kind of where their relationship with the actual magical and and impossible is. But, um, but again, yeah, I think I I'm I'm quite happy with the fact that, that there can there can be a, a certain amount of fun and I, i'm certainly not like i'm I'm not going to switch off an uncharted game if this one had if they had reverted to something supernatural even if it was him you know drinking some ancient potion that gave him you know super strength or something it wouldn't have like ruined the game for me necessarily but but i quite like the fact that despite all the the you know spectacular set pieces and uh, Hollywood wise cracking the they keep that side of things a bit more grounded than they might have done yeah Escaig, the writer uh, compared Asav to Mexican medical surgeon Jose Manuel Mireles having seen the documentary Cartel Land 2015 Ali described Mireles as someone who had the charisma and belief in his people to rise up and lead a revolution of sorts noting that Asav possesses a similar mindset and weaknesses Ali found that relating to historical revolutionaries allowed him to better understand the character's logic. His childhood experiences living in corrupt countries also helped with his portrayal of Asaf. That's from the Uncharted wiki. So yeah, Sean Eskeg, the writer there, along with Josh Sher, who's somebody who's been writing with Naughty Dog since 2001, wrote for all the Jack and Daxter games. And uh, the head of narrative development is, of course, Neil Druckmann. Let's hear from the emailer from the forum. The Lost Legacy doesn't change the Uncharted formula, but its smaller size removes filler. We keep the excellent locations, exciting set pieces and engaging writing, but there is less enduring wave upon wave of bullet sponge enemies aided by stealth as a genuine option. I felt the main three characters were all well drawn and interesting. The progression of Chloe and Nadine from untrusting partners to genuine allies showcases how good Naughty Dog are at dialogue. 
I like that our duo are not portrayed as good people. They have selfish motivations, but have to choose how to react to bigger events. However, it does pull its punches a bit in not really exploring the Indian politics it hints at in passing. What kind of rebels are these? What are their motivations? Is it sectarian or ideological? Finally, a small hill upon which I would die. In Uncharted 4, we see Nadine as an excellent hand-to-hand -hand fighter, able to fight off Drake and Sam. Yet Asav repeatedly fights off Nadine and Chloe, not having it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that she sort of, because she, Nadine has a history with Asav, uh, uh, it's strongly hinted at as a, a sexual history, which she doesn't want to talk about. And also uh, that, I think, I don't know if the suggestion is that she actually trained him in combat, but certainly that he has some, some despite his appearances, like the idea is that he has... Uh, they talk about him wearing glasses for, for two reasons, both to appear more intelligent and less dangerous. Uh, but the, the idea is that he's actually quite a capable uh, brawler. Having said that, the actual, the yeah, the semi-QTE action scenes that go down in fighting with him are, are about as easy as kind of end bosses get in games. And I think that's almost deliberate. Like, yeah, he puts up a bit of a fight, but he's not nearly capable of holding off these these two badass women for very long they kick him in they kick him right in <laughs> <laughs> i do like that fight scene <laughs> yeah. really. um it, it, it there's a certain amount that because there's a, a level of flexibility with your character and stuff when you're playing it it's it, I, I, I thought it was really technically impressive like yeah. just how do they how do you do all this stuff you know how do you get it to connect and work in the way that it, as fluid as it does i know that Certain parts of it are not out of your control because that's why it's a QTE. But I, I gotta, you know, it's it's a naughty dog sort of popcorn cinema thing. But uh, okay. it's it's what I love about their games is those little set piece moments and the visuals that accompany them. And not like uh, it wasn't that long ago that I replayed the the original trilogy on the uh, on the remastered editions and just remembering the horrible mm. frustrations of the the bosses at the end of the early games in that series and just you know just seeing the black and white yeah you died sequence over and over again and it completely ruining the the sort of the cinema of the moment and yeah. i and i get it you know we don't necessarily want games that have no challenge just play themselves and whatever else but i felt like in this case we just had a sort of best part of an hour long set piece train sequence after taking a helicopter out the sky you didn't need another really overly difficult yeah. and yeah. confusing set piece to finish just make it fun and satisfying for the most part yeah. unless i just lucked out and actually everyone died loads of times on this fight but i think it's designed that you don't yeah i think i think it's naughty dog realizing where their strengths lie um i don't i don't think i've played a naughty dog game where a boss fight has been a highlight and I think this no. game is them going, <laughs> you know what? We, you know what we do well? We do set yeah. pieces well. Let's mm -hmm. just make the the final fight a nice showy bit of fun. And that's mm. fine. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, as regards to the emailer's point about the fact that the game doesn't really... And I, I, I got this as well in that I didn't get this. Like, I didn't really get a strong sense of what the, the, the factions in India were fighting over and whether it was based on real Indian politics, which I will completely openly confess to knowing virtually nothing about, or whether it was a, uh, an entirely you know, fictional uh, situation that it was just set up to create the, because basically you can't, they can't 
make this game as it is an uncharted game without having military factions in the area because there's no one you know there's no one to fight unless you have zombies again yeah i mean it's the same as what we were saying earlier right at the beginning they don't identify where in india you are and i think it's deliberate if i'm honest i think it's like they're just there's a keep it vague because the moment you set it down the moment you say this you're taking sides you're creating a a a narrative that you might not want and i think it's it's like you know you you're bringing in a whole like the more if you start using real groups and stuff you you that that that's a can of worms you don't want to open in in a game like this at all yeah it depends on the kind of game doesn't it and this is like the uncharted series has never we're not uh, looking for political discourse with an uncharted game or or something in the sense of having something to say yeah, you know, I would expect that from say more in something like The Last of Us that might have more of a point to what they're trying to say. Maybe not political, well, poli- politically in some but, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but, sociologically or, yeah. or ideologically. Yeah, but I feel with this, you're, yeah, I, I just feel it's deliberately left obtuse and probably for the the better for it. To be fair. I think you can kind of see that now that you say that, Jay, I hadn't considered that, but like even the opening scene where, um, where Chloe's in that shop talking to the little mm. girl and like, Oh, where's your father? He, she's like, Oh, he's off fighting the rebels. Like it's very mm. generic, you know? Like, so yeah, you're probably right. I bet it wasn't left intentionally vague just so that they, they weren't dipping their toes into any real life situation. So it could just be focused on the other narrative. Hmm. Right, so I played this first on, I think it was on the Pro, I can't remember exactly when I got my PS4 Pro, but I, th- I think it was before this. But at this point I had a, a just a, just, I don't mean it like that, uh, an old 1080p HD screen. Um, but this time, one of the reasons that it was uh, worth replaying it is because I had higher resolution monitor and uh, HDR capacity. Um, and I remember thinking the game looked absolutely splendid at the time. Uh, playing it on the old uh, on the old setup, but um, but playing it again this weekend, it was one of those where I just you know kept like you know gasping at just how pretty some of the locations are in this game. Um, the 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 longest probably section of the game is set in this uh, one area that you can actually you have a certain amount of freedom of movement around in a, in a jeep a lot of the time, and um, and within it there are temples and caves and the usual subterranean and uh sub aqua areas to explore uh and yeah both in terms of the artistic design and the technical realization of these places i can't think of too many games that i've just thought were more pretty you know just just pretty is i know it seems almost like damning with faint praise but just genuinely like lush and gorgeous just the, the lilies on the water and the light coming through the ceilings in the caves and um all this stuff yeah just uh marvelous there's some uh thunder and lightning at one one particular oh, point in the story yeah. well it's, at the very beginning when you're kind of there's a chase sequence over the rooftops in the city and it's raining and there's thunder and lightning going the rain on that sequence is incredible mm. like i'm like what well, <laughs> you know and i get i do get excited about those little details because they are kind of they they Adds so much to the visual look of the world, like seeing how rain impacts on the ground. I'll, I'll sit and stare at that stuff for a minute, you know, and, and just think, wow, who did that? You know, how did they do that stuff and all that? But I yeah. Think Na- Naughty Dog does, um, which like 
famously known for their visuals, but they just do green and lush spaces, just I think better than anyone that like from Uncharted four to this, but even like with the first time I played Uncharted, the original on PlayStation yeah. three, like just the greens and the blues <laughs> just pop in such a way that like it takes full advantage of the hardware. And that's something that's been said by, by many more people than me. It's not an original statement, but they just seem to get every little ounce out of the PlayStation. I only I played this on, uh, as Leon said, an, an old, terrible, uh, you know, non <laughs> non serious gamer PS4. Um, but I did just get a a PS4 Pro not that long ago because I, now I have a TV that will, will support it. Mm-hmm. And and this it just it's just it's so striking in every way. And then they transition like like what Jay was talking about the the rain sequences on the rooftop. It just everything visually in this game is just so satisfying and yeah. i it's it's a really it's really phenomenal I, I i can't get over the use of color in this game and, and how much i just stopped to just look and see what was going on around me yeah i i like they do such a good job of conveying exactly what kind of mood that they want the player to be in with any given frame that you're looking at. So, like, you've all been talking about the lushness of the vegetation and how they they, they clearly want you to enjoy it. They want you to just, like, just eat it in. But then they, they do actually have moments of, um, like, tension and fear. Like, right at the beginning of the game... Um, Chloe looks out on this war-torn um, city, yeah. and mm. I know in video games we've seen a lot of war-torn cities, but um, just something about the way it's lit and and the, the the brightness of the fire and just how big and scary the explosions are, like it feels like really tense in a way and and scary in a way that I didn't expect from an uncharted game and ultimately it's a danger over there in the distance and I know you know really it's not going to affect me as a player but I found that really impressive that they could mm. like if they could make that danger feel so close even though it's so far away um and just like yeah like when you when you go down into the area with the elephants as well just that yeah. feel like the 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 use of blue to k- kind of create that feeling of peace and quiet right you can relax now the the fight the fight is over temporarily and this is a moment of tranquility like the you yeah just throughout like the use of color and lighting to convey mood is really effective yeah and i do want to make a special mention for the hdr because this is one of the games that i've played both before and after having that capacity and i know you know not necessarily everyone's got it by now i feel very fortunate to have it and i don't think it's something that's been used brilliantly by all art teams in all games and sometimes it's not even you know i don't think there's been a game where i've actually actively wanted to switch it off apart from maybe before they fixed it in Red Dead Redemption 2. But the thing that HDR is, I, I think, is absolutely amazing at, if used correctly, are is stuff like fire, um, which really, uh, I, I guess there's just something about the intensity of light that comes from explosions and fire in real life um, that gets a particular benefit from, from whatever magic goes into hdr technology so yeah just if you you know if you get the chance to play this or maybe like brian if you upgrade your screen uh since you've played uh one i guess i guess uncharted 4 also did they put in hdr support in that i'm as not well? sure i was thinking I'm about sure. going back and looking to, to, to yeah. check just because now i want to 
you know, play yes. with my new toy. So yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also yes, it, it gains a resolution boost if if you've got the the pro and the and the screen set up for it. So yeah, uh, but yes, even even if you merely have the the, <laughs> the old uh, PS4 and a 1080p screen, the game will still look very lovely indeed. Another thing that sells the world for me is uh, some really uh, lush and expensive uh, studio sound design. Um, the uh, talking about the thunder, uh, I played this through again with my uh, with my Sony branded top of the range headphones as well. I'm not a rich person. I've just got. I just spend my money. I'm really not. Um, but I just spend my money on. Well, I say that uh, actually, the headphones were a present. Um, I get people to spend their money Leon, on Leon, nice things. You, Leon, all you have to say is you're in your 40s and you don't have kids and everyone that's, will understand. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> point, yes. <laughs> yeah. Very good uh, point, yes. I'm nearly 48 <laughs> and I don't have children, but I do have a 4K TV and a set of PS4 Platinum headphones. Nice. Uh, yes. Anyway, where were we? The audio sound. The audio? The sound. Um, yeah, just uh, I think um, the... I think maybe coming off the back of Days Gone, I think the guns don't sound quite as good in this game as they do in that game. Uh, a little less oomph to them, but still pretty good. Um, and the the sort of the use of sound, the fact that the grenades handily still have a little um, high-pitched beeping noise of increasing in urgency to let you know before they're going off as well as the on-screen on indicator it's all good i know it's not realistic but uh but it helps um but yes and and the environmental sound the, the no doubt there are way more foley sound effects in this game than any of us would actually even know as in the sense that i i bet they put in dozens of different sound effects for different footsteps on different environments and all that kind of thing um, and the echoing and the the, the different um, environments in which you so you know if you fire your gun in an enclosure it sounds properly like it's resonating and bouncing off all the walls and coming back at you in a in an in an imposing way so yeah uh, no complaints from me on the uh, on the audio front other than I don't think the score is particularly exciting or memorable a bit generic yeah yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think you've obviously got some familiar themes kind of peppered in there and, and familiar phrases, but I don't think the score stands out as much as previous entries in the series. I think it's just all iterations on those last four games and the themes. There are a lot of brass, you know, and the low yeah. kind of, you know, the, the almost tribalistic drum patterns and things. Um, I do think the the sound does thrive more in the... Uh, the surrounding, like you said, the sound design, Leon, more than the actual score itself. Um, like I can remember the the Uncharted title theme, like from the first Uncharted oh, game. Like I could yeah. I could hum that tune mm-hmm. right now, but I I struggle to remember. Even having just dipped back in a little bit uh, to this game, I struggle to remember anything that memorable. I think that's the problem as well. I think if because it's an Uncharted game, it doesn't deviate. And if 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 like we originally said, it was meant to be. Um, an expansion as opposed mm-hmm. to a standalone that it they they weren't going to deviate too much with the way that the sound because it, it still has that occasional theme got running through it which i feel like should it have had a completely i mean if if it does have their own theme i can't 
it, it wasn't memorable at all. Mm. Like it totally passed me by and I've played through twice the same as everybody. And, and I can't tell you what the music was like because I feel it needed to have, it, it needed like a Nadine and, and Chloe theme, you know, yeah. it needed something very specific mm. for them, um, a catch, a hook or whatever, but it was, yeah. And I bet uh, if I interviewed Henry Jackman on Sound of Play, he'd say that he'd probably used uh, exactly, you know, the right sort of instruments yeah. for the region and all that kind of thing. There's no doubt mm. that it's extremely professional. And right, I'm yeah. sure that the underscoring uh, percussion on the action sequences probably does add something, but it's never very obvious or apparent. What, what's interesting is Henry Jackman's done way more movie work than video game work. Uh, and he's worked on quite a lot of, um, you know, fairly well-known movies albeit uh, often in mm. conjunction with other composers this is this is only the uh this was only the sixth or seventh video game yeah. he worked on um but interestingly his he does go all the way back to the commodore 64 era according to his huh. wikipedia at least he was actually writing uh he, only a few but he did uh, he did some music and sound effects on a on a couple of games in the early 90s on the c64 curious if if budget had a lot to do with this as well you know, it being a, a sort of an expansion as opposed to, you know, a, a full title, whether that's kind of part of the... Because, I mean, he also did the score for Uncharted 4, so I wonder if it was like, you know, buy one, get one free kind of deal or something. <laughs> but um, Yeah, but maybe you, he didn't you, have the, the the budget to go back in the studio with the orchestra or whatever. I don't, yeah, I don't there's, know. there's got to be some concessions with that because they're not going to throw the kind of the big AAA budget into this. It's uh, an expansion. I'm sure that, you know, the numbers will always be less than the main game for these kind of things. So you're never going to spend that kind of money. But um, yeah, it's, it's just, well, you know, maybe. In modern movie style, the game ends with a, a, a pop track, an MIA piece. Mm, yeah, um, but yeah. actually, I, I think the uh, very much in the style of contemporary movie credits, uh, the little sort of retelling of the game with cartoons, I actually thought was really well done and quite yeah. sweet. Yeah. So on to the actual playing of the game, the moment to moment. Let's uh, first hear from Matt Zvi from the forum, who says the Uncharted series have always been system sellers for me. I think you can always feel how much care and dedication Naughty Dog puts into their titles. Their well-written dialogues, interesting characters and epic storytelling are raising the bar for the entire industry with every game they publish. I was pleasantly surprised when Sony announced The Lost Legacy, especially because it was set on an assuringly smaller scale. Some might even say it's a budget title. As I found Uncharted 4 and most games in general often too long, I was looking forward to a shorter title. But what a short budget title it was. The setting in India felt fresh, the landscapes were absolutely breathtaking, and the rainy weather made the experience tense. I found the part with the elephants a bit cheesy, like a Last of Us giraffe knockoff, but that's okay with me. Naughty Dog have always been copying themselves and others to perfection. The train level in Uncharted 2 was already spectacular, but in Lost Legacy it is even more cinematic. Gameplay-wise, I really enjoyed the riddles, but to be honest, that was really it. I know it's unfair to compare different games and genres with each other, but if you go from Battlefield 1 to Uncharted, you realise how the controls patronise you. Every movement in Uncharted still feels like a greyhound that's dragged on a leash. Having two NPC companions wasn't a great help either. How come they always stand in the way when I'm desperately trying to find cover? Why on earth are they shooting with their airsoft guns at armoured enemies? I think it made the encounters unnecessarily frustrating. What a shame to the beautifully crafted environment when my screen keeps turning as colourful as a razor head. 
I'd love to see more AAA titles like this. I think $40 is a fair price for a 10-hour experience this polished. As much as I love Nathan, Sully and Elena, I think The Lost Legacy is, due to its atmosphere, my favourite title of the Uncharted series. Which is quite something, given that uh, he was, uh, I think he was quite uh, relatively negative, downbeat yeah. on the gameplay itself. I, th- I would say that, yes, I think we talked, obviously, about the gameplay in the previous games. And for me, each one, maybe with the exception of three, the the actual feel of controlling your character in these games has improved a little step by step in each one. But there is still that very prescriptive platforming that is not really skill-based as such. It's more about observing and then just pretty much pressing a sequence of buttons until you arrive where you want to arrive. What I would say is that here they've tightened up the shooting no end and the actual combat now feels, although I'd say a little hectic and frantic after coming off the back of Tom Clancy's Division 2 and Days Gone, which was also have cover based over the shoulder shooting action. Um, it feels it feels much more like I'm getting the hits that I want to get out of my guns in this compared to previous Naughty Dog shooters, including The Last of Us, actually. Mm. I think the these encounters are benefiting hugely from um, the pace of this game as well and um, the way they're designed. So in previous Uncharted games, and I think Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3 are... Uh, especially guilty of this. You'll enter an area, you'll clear out all the enemies, and then Mm. a huge truck comes in or two trucks come in (laughs) and the whole area is repopulated again. And I think, you know, I I, I swear Uncharted 4 does that occasionally as well. Um, That's not quite as fresh in my memory. But um, I just like that, like, every combat set piece is, right, we've cleared the area, right, let's move on. Like, there's no rehashing of that that set piece there's there's a quicker pace to it and it doesn't give you time as a player to realize some of the the idiosyncrasies of uncharted's combat system because it's not my favorite but at this pace and at this level um i don't have time to dive into those problems and it's just oh it's over quickly it's fun it's snappy and then we're on to the next thing and i i think the game as a whole hugely benefits from that um there's a point actually in the during the train sequence where and i love that train sequence you know you're on the train you're off the train you're on the train you're off the train it's yeah. kind of i mean technically it's, it's just Completely ridiculous, of course. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But really fun. There's a sequence where you're operating a switch to change the train onto a different track, and then Sam's there with you. There's a point where a truck comes in, guys get out, you take them on, you shoot those guys, and then just at the end of that sequence, another truck comes in and more guys jump out. But at that point, Sam says, look, you go, I'll take care of these guys. You go and chase the train. And I wondered if, like what Josh was saying, that that was kind of a thing that they were doing in previous games, back and forth, you know, clear it out, more come in, do the same again. I wonder if that was actually a little dig or nod to that sort of gameplay mechanic and yeah. maybe, or, and I, you know, the thing that they're, they're, they're getting rid of it. They definitely, they, there was, yeah, the crate stuff that, where they were, where they say no more crates yeah, yeah. right at the start of the game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That is yeah. where it goes through the floor. <laughs> just, yeah. Because yeah. there were so many of that puzzle, yeah. so many examples yeah. of that particular puzzle in previous games. They at least found a few new ways to 
and and they avoided quite so much of the yeah. there's got to be another way around that line of yeah. dialogue always, i mean there's still yeah. some of it don't get me wrong but in i but think they, in, in yeah. the previous three games it was always there's got to be another way around. yeah i also love that <laughs> yeah that they go into a door door slam shut like well i guess we're not going back that way you know there was way less of that yeah. <laughs> those things in this game but i feel that that's these little details these little like kind of nods to the previous mechanics and and the things they used to do in the game and and how they've changed them. I think that's part of what adds to the overall charm of this game as well. It's like you see how they're kind of subverting your expectations a little bit and stuff. Mm. So Yeah, and and I think that the I I spoke about the combat encounters, but I think the level design as a whole has improved significantly. So in chapter four, where you're going from, you know, between those three three temples, depending, you know, and you're free to choose whichever one you want. Mm. I like how uh, each one is designed like a loop. So there's a shortcut at the end. That feels like something out of Skyrim or, you know, a, an RPG dungeon crawler, not an Uncharted game. I was hoping you would mention the game that has to always be mentioned there oh. when you were talking about <laughs> Or Dark Souls. <laughs> Thank um, you. Um, but that's that removes the problem that you were talking about Brian where um they constantly have to say oh we can't leave where we where we you know we entered in with this design why would you leave you know leave where you entered it's easier to go the way they've designed it removes that problem mm. and i also just really like i know it only happens in basically one chapter in the game um chapter 4 but I like that they're experimenting with more open level design and not kind of just doing the. And there's plenty of that. Don't get me wrong. Like they they soon go back to the you know uncharted as usual. But experimenting with more freeform uh, level design and letting the player choose their path. And and you know ultimately it's still very authored. It's not exactly an open world experience. No. But that that illusion of freedom is valuable like it has it has some value and just uh and just yeah like and and being able to soak in a bigger because they create such great environments that you rarely get to explore mm. being able to just visually soak in more of what they've created through that level design is also great to see i think that that recently especially in the years beyond breath of the wild and things like god like bloodborne dark souls popularity the the experience of like saying oh well, wouldn't it be great if this would be an open world game you know where you could go anywhere and do anything like for, for mm-hmm. when they talk about that with authored experiences like an uncharted game like you mentioned josh it's very difficult to do that well i can tell you as somebody who has recently played through the campaign of gears 5 which i enjoyed they have multiple quote and quote unquote open world sections that are just barren and the character doesn't quite move right for an open world it just doesn't feel like it's designed to be an open world and originally the the first four uncharted games were nowhere near anything in open world very linear very point a to point b experiences and the fact that they were able to make that work at all i think is just super impressive and i think it's because of what you said it is still very authored experience but that illusion of being able to go anywhere you want to do what you want in this area i think that just showed to me the potential of what can be done when you take those those narrative design elements and and implement them uh, wisely into this kind of faux open world formula? It really was fun. I I love that chapter of the game, and I think that it, it just 
it, it gave a good example and a good kind of um, sample platter of all the things I love about Uncharted anyway, which is, you know, like you said, the the visuals, the the treasure hunting, but actually feeling you were hunting, not just finding the one little cave off the path. You know, you were kind of I scoured every corner of that map just to just to see what was there. And, and normally, like in most good open world games, if there was a corner to explore, there was something there worth seeing. So that was um, I thought just very well done. One of the ways in which we roam around is in the Jeep. Uh, I would say this was a partial success. Uh, there was, was there, there, was there some of this in the previous yeah. game? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, 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 I, yeah I, I thought I remembered hooking I things mean, in up. fact, it feels almost like a copy mm-hmm. and paste in, or yeah. a lift and shift with the, the mechanics and stuff. With, yeah. With this oh, one. this hill's too muddy. Yeah. Get the winch. <laughs> like, basically, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, breaks things up a little. Um, quite, yeah, some 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 fun driving moments uh but also i found the the controls a little twitchy um that, that's probably something i could have fixed in the in the in the uh options but by default i thought that uh i had some some potentially great hollywood moments ruined by some, by some uh and maybe it's just in comparison to other games i've been playing recently maybe uh i'm just very used to the bike in days gone after many many hours of that um but yes some cool moments you get if you drop down on it from above you'll automatically you know jump straight into the driving seat similarly if you uh jump on an enemy jeep you can uh you can kick the uh the driver out in a gta style without any sort of interruption good fun stuff uh, John Cheatham from the forum says the first two missions of the Lost Legacy are one of the strongest openings to a game you could ask for. From the market scenes, which deftly introduce Chloe and the scenario to the tension of entering the city's no-go zone, parkouring across the rooftops, poking around brilliantly rendered apartments and offices, and eventually the chase back across the roofs, the pacing was pitch perfect. I surprised myself by not liking the open world section of this game, though. I adore open world games in general, but I couldn't wait for the Western guts to be over. Maybe it's because it felt quite empty, albeit pretty, and often needed quite a bit of backtracking to get to the the right ramp or entry to the next fort. If nothing else, it seemed to show how the wide linear philosophy of Uncharted 4 and the other lost legacy levels is in fact a strength of these games, as things really picked back up after. I enjoyed my time with the game overall, particularly as a rip-roaring adventure like this that you can go through in seven or eight hours is no bad thing in my book. So yeah, not everyone perhaps won over by sort of speaking a little bit to what you were saying there, Brian, that maybe getting the open world stuff right. So the, I mean, I suppose we should say to, for people who haven't played this, it's not like this ends up with a bloated icon strewn map in the style of a Ubisoft game. You end up with, you have a paper map, which you can bring up with the touchpad and the game nicely marks things as you do them or find them. If you only want to, as I did on my playthrough this weekend, get the main mission points done, you don't need to spend a huge amount of time driving back and forth. You can pretty much do the whole thing in one loop. It's only if you want to engage with the optional treasures and temples, which in the end, I can't even remember what it gets you, but it gets you into a a mystical monkey temple with a magic bracelet and some of the the bracelet. You collect all those discs or coins. I can't remember what they are, but it opens up the the, the bracelet. And then, um, yeah. Yeah. So that will have you toing and froing across this open world section of the game considerably longer. And in fact, it was the, I'm glad I replayed the game because I think my memory would have been mainly about that 
section because it really does stretch it right out. I enjoyed it in my first playthrough, but this time I was very happy to have the whole experience wrapped up in mm. seven hours and to not have done that extra stuff. I can't even remember like was yeah what what the reward actually did it I think it the bracelet yeah it way? does and I and I, of course now because we're talking about it I can't remember um yeah, yeah it, it she I believe it, it it's either a stat boost or I can't remember yeah right okay so maybe worth doing possibly if it does it carry over on new game plus can you is there a new game plus even I'm not sure there is can you pick it up on crushing and take your advantages in i'm not certain but anyway um it's yeah it's interesting what about uh josh and jay did you say whether you appreciated this portion of the game and and how much did you feel compelled to engage with the the coins or discs and the the, the extra temple oh i i did all of it um yeah. i i i think part of it like if i was being totally honest like the gameplay of those moments is pretty kind of minimal. Yes. But I, I enjoyed the, just spending time with these characters and every little bit of dialogue that they would say as part of that, that, that side content that I was there for that basically. And it, as, as, you know, as we've said previously, it just felt like a really good excuse to soak in everything, to soak in every frame of beautiful, beautiful art. So while I can understand, um, you know, a cri- the criticism that maybe this is a little bit shallow compared to to games that really, you know, go all in on the kind of open world experience, as a one-chapter experience mm. in an otherwise linear game, I thought it was a great change of gears and a change of pace. And um, it just allowed me to soak in some of the my very favorite stuff about the Uncharted experience. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree. Um, I, I do a lot of that stuff as whenever I'm playing a game, only all this kind of any extracurricular stuff, if it means you've got to get a new piece of armor or something, yeah, I'll go out of my way and spend sometimes hours grinding to get it. But it's... Uh, with this one, I think, so the Monkey Temple stuff, I did. I remember that because it's quite impressive when you open it up and all those um, whatever type of monkey they are mm-hmm. are there. But there's uh, it, the, the the one bugbear I've got with Uncharted games is is that kind of all the, the other tat that's lying around the map that you'll see glinting here and there and all those little trinkets right. to pick up. Yeah. That stuff, I can never... I, 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 I run out. Of, I, I've always run out of patience with that stuff, just mm. because I can never ever find it. <laughs> it's like, you know, and I, I don't want to. I, I've got to be honest with with certain games. I'll do it, but with these, I've always because there's often because there's so many of them. Um, I don't want to sit there for three hours with a YouTube video going right. piece yeah. by piece looking for it. I just haven't got the patience for that stuff. Yeah, at they all. they really i think solved a little bit of that problem in this game although it's not completely uh solved because there was something very mm-hmm. frustrating about i remember the, specifically the original uncharted where you'd get to the end of the chapter and be like oh you collected seven of the eight treasures and it's like well now i'm not gonna get all of them you know like you just like feel it yeah. and that kind of wraps back around to that bracelet you unlock which i just found out or just remembered just looked up that that it, that bracelet 
allows your controller to rumble when you're near a treasure. Mm. So that's what it is. it's essentially of it's essentially a stone of that's agony. That's why I got yeah. so many on my first yeah. playthrough and none yeah. on this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's what it does. Okay. Right. So yeah. Well, actually, that sort of partially answers one of the things I was going to put to you because yes, I, I have the same thing with the uncharted games. I, I, I do like collecting extra stuff in games. I like the fact they've modeled all this stuff in. They've often got a little bit of flavor text to, to go with them. Even if it is absurd that all these fantastic treasures, even if some of them are quite mundane are just lying around. I do think that they've had an issue with just putting very, these very small, easy to miss glints of light in these incredibly complex and elaborate, environments often yeah so you'll come out of the game thinking that you've collected a bunch of stuff and you'll find out that you've only got 20 percent of it or something and i think they have had issues with while i don't want a golden arrow telling me where to go to collect something necessarily in you know the style of a lot of the side quests in an assassin's creed or something like that some kind of clue and obviously the bracelet I, which i'd forgotten because it's three years since i first played the game does offer you some at least idea of I'm in the area of a treasure. Of course, the issue being, though, that in the larger areas, you might never go near enough for it to trigger the and vibration it doesn't give you all. an indication of elevation. Yeah. Either, so it could be above you, but you can't figure that out. So. Yeah. And I, I just think, yeah, in those environments, and it's it's quite amazing how much stuff they manage to squirrel away in what are usually mostly linear environments, and a lot of it you will never see. It's just that frustration thinking that the only way to really ever collect all this stuff would be to read somebody else's guide or follow a YouTube. And that, to me, is that that's when it's not really that much fun anymore. The game also has some lock picking because every game we have covered recently does pretty much in some form or other. Uh, this is a an especially mundane one. <laughs> you yeah. literally just... <laughs> Luckily, it's not that common. It's not you don't have to do it nearly as much as Dying Light, which we we were all kind of moaning about. But that one did at least feel a bit more like you were doing some lock picking. This one, it just brings up a, a like a bit of UI to show you where to hold your analog <laughs> stick for it to vibrate and for the. It's so yeah. perfunctory. Uh, I just. I don't know what the answer is with this. At least, again, I keep referencing Days Gone because I've played tons of it recently and it's a game we've recently covered. Obviously, it's kind of funny that Deke just shoves this knife in everywhere and it works. But the fact that it... And, and yeah, you just hold a button down or whatever. But the fact that it at least sounds great when he's when he's jamming open boot, uh, car boots, car trunks, whatever, um, at least adds something. But this this just... Yeah, just like <laughs> this is gonna sound. Yeah. Just leave it. This out. is gonna sound ridiculous, but I always think of Titanfall two in this these scenarios because I, I remember uh, the oh. lockpicking and specifically during Dying Light talking about that with the lockpicking, where like you have to do this, just move the analog sticks to the to the you know the right area until where it doesn't vibrate anymore or, or else it breaks. And then in Titanfall two, yeah. they literally had a prompt that says press X to time travel. So like like how come we can't just do that for <laughs> lockpicking? You know, you have an inventory that has a lockpick in it. You press X, they pick the lock you move forward and if you don't have the skill or whatever you can't do it yet but like yeah the, these this this one particularly just seems like like i feel like we're at a point like where we know how analog sticks work this can just be a button press at this point but that's uh yeah that's, i always think that that, that I, other example 
I will say, and I agree with everything you two have said, but I will say I appreciate the system being here just for the one moment where you're doing it and oh, Nadine just yes. smashes a window <laughs> and opens the door. Oh, yeah. Okay. And also the, 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 the freeing the others from the chains when you're all about to drown did add a certain amount of tension yeah. in, in that particular set piece. But yeah, I, again, I don't know what the answer is. It's become such a, a standard gaming feature to have a, a lock picking sub game. And actually the, the, they can, I think they can be enjoyable, but I think, yeah, it's just that somehow developers need to find a way to keep it interesting, keep them the right length, make it visually, I guess satisfying is the, is the word that, that I need, I want to find them. And, and in this, it was just more of a, a, a an irritation than something that, would actually provide any actual pleasure from having completed it it's because it was just so you know anyone could do it that said i want to praise them for this is three years old and i think sony in particular and and not to dismiss any other studios but the accessibility accessibility options we've seen in in a lot of first party stuff have been more and more um comprehensive and uh, i did check here to see what there was the only one that i toggled again was the turn button mashing into button holding because i'm done with button mashing if i yeah, can avoid I do it that every time as well yeah i didn't used to think about it but uh, i'm fortunate in that uh, i don't particularly require any accessibility options in gaming but i'm increasingly aware that people do and that it's something that should be addressed i certainly um, there might it might not be that long into the future till i need larger fonts yeah, and things like that i'm getting so, there right now and I, um, and I always like i hear a lot too from listening to other podcasts and things about people just like things like colorblind mode and other accessibility options that that yeah. you that me as someone who doesn't need them just assumes that are in everything and you become increasingly aware that they're just not they're just not readily available mm-hmm. for for every title and that's a, it's a shame one thing uh, i was also struck by on a separate note was actually I think uh, generally, obviously, they've had a lot of players over the years, the Uncharted games, and you do spend a lot of your time third-person shooting. This one, as well as uh, what Josh was saying earlier about, there's there's a couple of moments where it sort of repopulates an area, and then they send in the heavies and and so on. But again, they seem to have the the team behind this one seem to have thought about the criticisms levelled at previous Uncharted games and actually addressed them. What I will say is that the AI here, even compared to some of the other games, the the ones I've previously mentioned, seems a little sharper. Like the the enemies yeah. in this game seem a little bit, even on normal difficulty, seem a little bit craftier and a little yeah. bit smarter about about coming, getting around behind you and coming from places that you wouldn't necessarily expect them. But it doesn't feel unfair. It just feels like you haven't checked your corners and all that kind of thing. So fair play to them for that. I think that one sequence towards the end, I think it's right before the chapter right before the train sequence where you have to take down the helicopters it is particularly good at showing the AI in this game. And, and I always found that like I struggled with that section my second time through as well. And I, it was never like in, in quotes, the game's fault. I never felt like it was unfair. Just, I had done something wrong. I had not anticipated. I had not done the right thing. And, and, and normally in an uncharted game, uh, particularly the previous entries, I, the reason I died was I just felt that there were like too many characters on the screen, and I just like anytime I pop out of cover, I'd just be shot, and it didn't really feel like that in this game. Mm-hmm. It gave me a lot of opportunities to mm-hmm. handle situations stealthily 
and to and to get through yeah. encounters at least to limit the amount of enemies that I'll have to engage with with fire right away. And I I just think the game as a whole was better for that. And also what Josh mentioned before about how you know there weren't those waves of enemies too. Like it kind of like a little sharper yeah. AI, a little bit less like um, you know total enemies to deal with. I think just made for a little bit more satisfying experience um, for combat. And I know. Yeah. I won't be the first person to say that I don't find the shooting in Uncharted games to be particularly satisfying. It feels like that more kind of popcorny, just pop pop. It doesn't really feel like it has weight. Um, but, <laughs> but you said before, Leon, the the explosions in this game are 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 excellent. <laughs> like it has those moments where mm. I would just click into photo mode because I had just sent some poor faceless soldier just sky high from a barrel standing behind him and I would just catch him <laughs> mid flight just to take a picture, just you know, just for my own amusement. They yeah. totally sort of i i think that the physics are deliberately tweaked to make <laughs> um even though the game doesn't go into slow-mo i think that they sort of almost slow-mo the enemies in the air <laughs> when they're blown up in the sky so it's more kind of movie yeah. action rather than realistic yeah um yes and on the subject of stealth so i think i t- attempted some of the sort of skirmish areas a bit more stealthily in my first playthrough whereas this weekend i just decided to to go all out guns blazing for those of you who do sometimes like to attempt things more stealthily jay and josh how much of that did you do compared to just open fire and uh let the carnage commence uh that's part of the course that's my standard approach to stuff if there's a stealth element i'm taking that yeah Yeah. always because it's just how i play it's like I'm not going to put my. I, I mean, I like gun fights and stuff, but I prefer it to be. You know, I'll thin thin the herd out a little bit first. You know, <laughs> that's gen- generally my approach. Was I'll take out a decent chunk of yeah. the uh, the enemy, and once they're whittled down to a point, um, a I level. will just I'll <laughs> yeah. just go guns blazing, and it's especially fun to take out enough of them that there's like a small group together mm. and just go well. I've got a grenade, so just lob the grenade and all three of them just die instantly. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my, my aversion to stealth, which isn't as bad as it used to be, but I still find that I get impatient and, and I start opening up and firing. But I do remember on my first playthrough the, the fact that you can mark enemies in this, uh, even if I, I'm not usually patient or diligent enough to make sure that everyone's marked before I start start uh, taking people out but uh it is it does appear to be that yeah the game very much accommodates both styles what i was wondering is those of you who did play more stealthily so there's a bit later in the game which i'm i felt like it's baked in like it, it can't be avoided but there's a bit where they're sam and chloe are debating an approach to this particular fight and um nadine just goes off and starts kicking them in uh or she did for me and and then Chloe's like, what the hell? What are you doing? And she says, well, this is how you always do it. I was wondering if that's still the case, even if you'd stealthed every fight up until that point. Oh, I can't remember, yeah, to be honest. That's, yeah. Hmm. I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember either. Another part of the Uncharted recipe is puzzle rooms. Indiana Jones or National Treasure, depending <laughs> on your... Uh, <laughs> depending on your, uh, your, your poison. Um Rooms where ancient civilizations of yeah varying uh, origins have set up uh, impossibly elaborate mechanical devices for 
explorers to pick their way through without being beheaded, smushed, crushed, smashed, poisoned, etc. Um, there are, yeah, there's a handful of these, including one massive entire room statue puzzle involving some beams of light, which is obviously something we've seen done in many different games before. Um, again, most of these I found a good level of a puzzle in terms of took me a few tries to figure them out and then didn't get horribly stuck for too long on them, which is what I'm generally after. Cause you don't want to be made to, you don't want to be, I don't think. Um, and it, it must be really hard, right? Designing puzzles for massive, a massively broad level of intellects um, or puzzle solving abilities. Maybe intellect isn't the right word, but uh, 3d spatial or observational puzzle solving more than mechanical um I, all these felt quite straightforward to me but i'm not going to say that i did them all you know first time i i kind of like some of these uh the, there's one in particular that i have a fondness for which is the shadow one where you've got yeah. to kind of manipulate mm. the shapes to fit the the figures on the wall and stuff like that i like those kind of puzzles they had them in resi 7 and and i i yeah i just think there's, there's, there's definitely part of me that's going, it's so clever, isn't it, really? Like, how do they do this? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I think what they do a good job of is even if the, the puzzles aren't particularly challenging, they're always mm. quite tactile. Like they, they always involve you, involve yeah. the player, um, fiddling with something really pleasing to move around. Like the, the shadow one that Jay is talking about. I just like the lifting up of the, the um the panels so that the whole thing slides down it just feels nice which is i know it's like a weird thing to say but it's like it's it's really nice and tactile and the yeah. same with like the pressure pad um puzzle with the the swinging spears as well like it's really simple and once you figure it out it's incredibly easy to execute but there's something fun about bouncing on these like lowering pads um to get through it so yeah, like I, I, I like the, 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 the tactile kinetic nature of all and of I, them. And this this Uncharted game does what the other ones do too, is that these puzzle rooms serve as a lot of the, I don't want to say excuse, but like the opportunity for the incidental dialogue between Chloe and Nadine, which I think is just, it just it yeah. just makes those experiences so much better. And I, you know, Nate and Sully did that throughout the first, you know, for all, all the Uncharted games and, and Nate and his brother in Uncharted 4. But like for some reason, I just, I, I just like these characters so much that like I was much more ears, interested to hear them kind of like bounce the ideas off each other when Nadine would be a little bit more physical and aggressive with the puzzle and Chloe would be like, no, we got to stop and figure it out. And um, it just, it was a, it was a nice opportunity to kind of slow down and get to know them a little better too. So. And some really clever hint design here as yeah, well. That's so side, right? Yeah. Rather than the usual, and it does still have the, if you just get lost, it'll eventually give you a little waypoint to, mm. to head towards. But in the puzzle rooms, if you do the same thing twice, which is easily done, you're, other character will just say i think you already tried that <laughs> and stuff like that is is just uh is it's yeah it's somehow much more organic and uh less frustrating than than the game just you know repeatedly kicking your ass or whatever and one other thing that always strikes me about these games i've always played them through on normal i think maybe even dropping to easy on occasion just for funsies but the setup is that they always have multiple difficulty levels above that going all the way up to crushing i know that uh you know 
old friend of the show community member don johnson is somebody who's i think completed all of these games on the hardest settings and uh and that has to be in there now i don't think any of us are those kind of people necessarily i know jay you are somebody who often starts off at the bottom of difficulty mm. curve and works your way up and up and up but is Not crushing these games. is crushing beyond these. your ceiling <laughs> yeah i've got no it to me it it like it it's the complete opposite of why i would play these games yeah right and I think in the past, detractors of the the action in these games would say that now, obviously, people who have completed completed these games on crushing would say, well, clearly it does support this level of play because I've done it right. I've got the platinum or whatever. But those people who would cite these games as not having the best, most accurate, tightest shooting and and mm. moment to moment controls would say, why would I put myself through that? So I've never been like I. I've always been not an apologist for because there's nothing to apologize for, but I've always said when we've covered these games that I've enjoyed the third person shooting while I can still recognize and acknowledge that maybe it's not quote best in class in some ways. I've always found it enjoyable and fun. And that's, that's what really matters to me. However, yeah, I would concur that I don't have the confidence in not only my abilities, but also the, the shooting in certainly in the previous games to to go for a crushing yeah. playthrough however this one maybe there's although i still died a few times again on my replay on normal i feel like i could actually i would have confidence in the shooting and my own abilities and and um reactions and and coordination to maybe beat this one on crushing but i can't say because i haven't done it. i think like for the most part of the gameplay you're okay i have played what i think i've played two through on that difficulty because i was after a trophy but um i know that i i was bashing my head up against the wall come the boss fights and the set yeah and in particular with this one i think the car chase sequence where you're trying to get on the train but you've got all those guys on motorbikes and machine guns coming after you now that's where you can hit a wall with that stuff because you've got very little control over them shooting at you and you're kind of exposed so yeah yeah. you're being shot at three from three or four sides yeah yeah I'm sure plenty of people have done it um I don't know what the percent the trophy completion percentage for that one is but it's ultra rare those are probably the moments of frustration and annoyance that, you know, you keep having to die, repeat, die, repeat until you get it perfect and then yeah. get through it. Yeah. But that's really where I kind of draw the line with that stuff. It's yeah. just not, it's not what I want to do. Yeah. If you get, if you're the kind of player who oh, gets yeah. satisfaction yeah, yeah. out of it, then by all means go for it. Um, I think for many of us, particularly those of us on a mm. podcast with a, Completing the older game you schedule. get, the more blood pressure matters as well. That too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex79 UK says, I just adore this series. The characters, the worlds, the exploring, the shooting. I love it all. And this, this might just be the series' finest hour. Probably the biggest credit I can give this game is that not once in its eight-hour roller coaster ride did I catch myself wishing Drake was on the scene. The chemistry between Chloe and Nadine is perfect for the screen, and the short running time of the game means there wasn't a wasted second or slow point anywhere to be found. Structurally, it sticks pretty close to the tried and tested formula, although it does give you a huge open world to play around in at around a third of the way through. I spent around three hours on this section alone, finding all the tokens and treasures. If Naughty Dog had given us nothing but this section as DLC, they'd have still got away with it. 
As it is, that open world is just a small part of probably the tightest, most action-packed Uncharted release yet. The set pieces are incredible. We've seen Drake run atop speeding trains before, but this time was more bombastic, more adrenaline fueled and more fun than any, any other. The story was as good as any other we've seen in the series yet, and make of that what you will. The climbing even more refined and smooth than in Uncharted 4, and the puzzles didn't once feel like they broke up the flow of the game. All in all, Naughty Dog have done an incredible job of showing that there is life after Drake for Uncharted, and I for one cannot wait to see what they do next. If we get a shorter, more action-packed adventure like this every couple of years, I'm all in. I agree with that model, the idea of the model where the game, if shorter games come out more frequently than 50 to 100 hour games coming out every seven years. However, I think there's, I think it's, there's more to it than that because it's about the assets and the engine building, isn't it? The, the part yeah, that can yeah. really take a huge amount of time, whereas here they were building off of an engine that already existed. But they could do something again with uh, The Last of Us 2. There could be something to come further from that in the same way as they did the extra the left behind the extra yeah. chapter previously i think this is a mm. third correspondent that's brought this up about how the it's tighter and seven eight hours and i think that does also benefit i mean i enjoyed that part of it too how tight it was but that also benefits from the criticism that i and a lot of other people had about uncharted 4 being a little bloated so like to go from yeah. a game that was that i like a lot in uncharted 4 but saying that's ah, just a little too much dragged on a little too long to this one where it felt like it was kind of breakneck pace and just bam 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 and you were done i think it did kind of benefit yeah. from that direct comparison because i mean being a a an, an original dlc but then a new standalone you couldn't help but compare it to uncharted 4 so it definitely benefited from that i think yeah. in the in the general kind of consensus about it from everybody who played it half the length originally a little more than half the price or yeah similar to half the price but now as i say given that i paid 15 pounds for it in its release year i don't know how much it is now because you know how when you go to a digital store it tells you you can't buy it because you've right. already got it i'd be interested to know what sale price it's actually been on in the in recent reductions i imagine under a tenner i'm sure you can get it for twenty right now on the store, so I, I, I and that's okay. not not discounted. So or twenty American, excuse me, and um, so I'm right. So I'm sure that it's probably been discounted at yeah. times, you know, too. And was this um was this ever a a plus game? I know the for a while the no. Uncharted collection was um the Drake collection. I think it but. was. They also gave the the trilogy collection away recently as just part of the mm, pandemic yeah. response play at home stuff along with Journey, uh, but I don't. Maybe it has. Remember. I forget if I if it did. We already had it. So uh, yeah, and there's a few extras in there, as you'd hope, even for a budget mid mid price or mid length title. Uh, there are model viewers and uh, art viewers and all that kind of thing. Uh, there are you earn points throughout playing the game, although it never really seems to tell you what you're earning them for. But you come out of the game and you find that you've got unlock points. Uh, which you can use to unlock uh, weapon models and stuff. Two of the interesting, uh, most interesting things. So this game obviously is proud of its visuals. And in fact, Chloe, during the game, will take photos on her phone and you can view that. But there is also a now increasingly uh, ubiquitous photo mode. Click in both sticks by default and you can uh, start taking snaps. Jay, you're a photo mode guy. I am, yeah. Yeah, I took a fair few photographs on whilst playing this, but I've got to say that 
of all the different sort of photo modes I've tried, Naughty Dogs, I've got to be honest, they're probably the least, what I feel are the least user-friendly. Okay. I I just always Mm. struggle to get to achieve what I feel is a good picture because of that. What's missing? Is it the UI or is it the features? Um, I, I, it's, it's a combination of things like camera control and, and like being able to orbit the camera around freely and stuff. I always feel like there's, there's points where it's fighting against me with that stuff. And and then it's tricky. It feels like you're kind of, how can I say this? It it feels like the, the, however they've built the camera can at times work against the photo mode rather than for it. Um, you know, like hitting invisible sort of boundaries and stuff like that, where you feel like others have gone further and you can get a, and maybe this sort of, maybe it's the engine itself. Maybe it's, it's how they built the game because I noticed that particularly when you're in some of these vistas, uh, you've got these huge expansive landscapes that you're like either on top of a roof or on a mountaintop looking out over the jungle. Um, there's a sort of smoke and mirrors with that stuff in the sense that some of it is almost like a painting and it's not like a physical object. It's not like a, you know, like say uh, and when you're playing horizon, yes, yeah. it's there in that, you know, as far you can see that point over there, you can walk from here to there. You don't do that in this game. No. And so there's a sense of some of this stuff is, it's, it's almost like a, a big screen up with a, an image that's wrapped yeah, around. It's like a skybox basically. Yeah. And I feel that, that maybe because of that, that the, the, it, it kind of, you butt up against certain aspects with the camera because of it, because they don't, you're going to see behind, behind the curtain, mm. so to speak. Makes sense. I don't know, but it was, I've always struggled to get, Good. I I say that I've struggled to get good pictures, and then I go on people's Twitter feed stuff, people I follow, <laughs> other, and you just look at it. And you think, ah, it's the difference between like somebody with a real real eye for photography, um, <laughs> to, to some yeah, to a hobbyist or whatever. But it's you know, so I just I like taking the pictures, but yeah. So you see, some people get stuff, and you know that it's it's always that artist blaming his tools thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, see how you get on with uh, the Last of Us. T- Two's inevitable photo I, mode. Yeah, I think it'll be inevitable. I think they'll do it, but I don't. I suspect it's not going to be on launch. I feel mm. that that's another one as they've done. They've had a recent trend recently to to sort of add them post, and I feel that'd work in that game's favour because I feel seeing what they're showing of that, it's like it's dark <laughs> yeah. as hell. I don't want to be taking. Yeah, that's, I will. It's a curious there, juxtaposition, but, isn't it? Yeah. Oh look. Feel, I've garroted yeah. someone. Yeah, look, picture. I'm slitting yeah. somebody's throat. Photo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe they could have yeah. st- um, stickers and uh, and like peace sign poses, like in Spider Man. This bone protruding oh, from the God, skin was so this, beautiful. This image now of Ellie slitting that person's throat with a big grin on her face yeah. and staring at the camera. Like, peace sign. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> But this that, actually, that's it's an interesting point. I'm laughing because I think it's, I've got just the mental picture has blown my mind. But it's just, um, but you can see how actually that could be really problematic. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah. I would not be surprised if they hold back certain mm. features or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, there anyway. is there is yeah. one in the, 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 there is one in uh, the Last of Us certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one of the first ones that yeah. did it because the I remastered took version. Some in that, yeah, I've still yeah. got a, a picture of the the giraffes on my um, 
nice little profile screen from that I took from that. Yeah. Hmm. One of the other extras that I think is worth mentioning is a whole raft of filters. Some of them are just uh, sort of color filters, but there's also like negative mode. But you can actually turn this game cell shaded. And um, one of our community members and blog contributors, John, was playing this. Uh, I think he was actually playing it through or certainly chunks of it mm. in cell shaded mode. And it actually I think it, it, it works really well. Uh, yeah. There's also various 8 and 16 bit type filters and obviously you know sepia and black and white and all that kind of stuff but yeah there's a couple in there which are really almost you know so uh effective and um substantial and, and significant in their visual restyling of the game that they also almost offer a sort of alter a genuine alternative experience nah, it just needs borderland style numbers coming up when you're hitting and shooting people <laughs> that's it's maybe they could yeah i wonder if there's there there are there are games now aren't there where it kind of gives you the option of having numbers popping on screen for enemies it often depends how sort of rpg-ish the games are and and this these don't really come into that category because you don't develop your character as such in in any way but yeah there's um there's something to be said for sort of what we used to call back in the old gaming days debug mode where you could you know sort of see the workings it would be quite interesting to for for those options to appear in extras galleries like to say i would like to actually see the damage numbers come up on screen when i shoot enemies and stuff and i suppose in some games because we know um i think there's a there was a really interesting twitter feed which uh or it was a thread where developers were revealing their secrets their this sort of dirty dark little secrets about how games work and a lot of these reveals were actually how the game cheats for the best results kind of thing so how the numbers might tell you one thing, but the game behavior actually will work around that to give you a better experience, if you see what I mean. So if the if the game thinks it's if the game logic thinks it's dramatic for a certain kill to happen at a certain point, it might disregard the numbers kind of thing, that sort of situation. There's a lot of that goes on in games that is kept secret from us. And if they started revealing that stuff via an unlockable mode it might it might disillusion some players uh, interesting anyway the multiplayer mode was the exact same client as the uncharted 4 client and i think on that podcast i can't remember because it was more than a couple of years ago i think we all said yeah we used to quite like the uncharted multiplayer but we never played this one uh, did anyone here play any uncharted 4 or lost legacy multiplayer i played a a absolute small portion of uncharted 4 but not of lost legacy i mean after we completed the campaign a friend and i dipped into it for a a little while and i think it was just enough past release to where we were learning what was going on by just getting shot in the face constantly because we had no idea what was going on yeah that's the problem we're just like ah let's go play something else so I've had some great fun with those multiplayers. They're, I think they're even even with the slightly janky shooting of the earlier games, there was always a lot to enjoy about them. I remember Jay and I playing some Uncharted Two back in the community we were in back then, and it looked great. And it was yeah, it was just it was solid, well made fun. We also played some of the the original Last of Us on the PS3, didn't we? Some of the yeah. survivors yeah. mode in oh, that. Yeah, that. So that I think great. they definitely. Yeah, I love that. They've definitely had uh, they've definitely had followings and communities, but I think in just a what is now a morass of alternatives and options, I think the likes of us find ourselves moving on to the, the next game rather than sticking around with 
multiplayers like this, and we we haven't I, had yeah. any correspondence on it. I I think there's a there's a whole diff, loads of different perspectives on this stuff. I feel that one of the problems with these kind of multiplayers is because to get the most out of it, you need to invest a lot of time. Whereas yeah. I feel that they benefit really from having a more pick up and play aspect to them. Don't don't I don't want to spend dozens of hours leveling up my character to get the best loot and the best gear. I want to just literally be able to pick it up and jump straight in. But a lot of players don't like that, so they get turned off by that. They want the grind and all the rest of it. So it, 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 I feel that these games always sit in this kind of no man's land. That they, They're interesting mm. for a week or two, and then they just fall off most. A lot of people's radar, I mean, I say that, they, they fall off my radar. I'm usually somebody who can get into a game, but I don't want to be playing a couple of dozen different multiplayer stuff at the same time. So there's always so much juggling for your attention. Yeah. Um, and as Brian says, that the main issue for those of us who don't only focus on one thing is that even if we fancy a quick game, you go online yeah. and there's all the it's people, just, the hardcore yeah. have yeah. maxed everything out and they know every map like it's yeah. uh, better than the back of their own hand sort of thing. Could be fun in a group of pals, but yes, that moment has when you play it passed. that way, when you play it. Only friends yeah. and only people jumping in and we're all kind of on the same level. Mm. They are fantastic mm. fun. Mm. That doesn't happen very often, <laughs> right. unfortunately. Yeah, so. it's 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 one of those things that's uh, idyllic in theory, but yeah. in reality doesn't manifest too often. I actually think, yeah, just not even about this particular game, although it would be a, a perfectly good example, is it's almost the most fun is if you can find a multiplayer game with a group of friends that none of you has played before. So you've all got yeah. the exact same lack of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe one of you's played it a bit so they can teach you the ropes or whatever. Stanshall from the forum says, I'm a fan of the Uncharted spectacle rather than a fan of the gameplay, characters or narrative. Dialogue is almost always delivered with a raised eyebrow and a smirk and the fundamental mechanics barely changed in the decade between the first and most recent title. Despite this, I very much enjoy the roller coaster ride through stunning, saturated locations and a well-tuned balance of vertiginous platforming, mild puzzling and a Rambo 3 body count. While the series has matured somewhat over time, with Lost Legacy perhaps the most sober title yet in the thr uh, until the thrilling finale, this is nevertheless popcorn gaming at its finest. It's this quality which drew me back to Lost Legacy during the ongoing cumulative stress of the COVID-19 pandemic. For the last six weeks, I've really struggled to play my usual shmups, rhythm games and 2D fighters because, quite honestly, I just don't have the energy, patience or mental fortitude right now. Uncharted The Lost Legacy, along with a concurrent replay of Uncharted 4, has been an absolute delight and made me grateful for the range of experiences that gaming offers. While it seems to be based on the same assets and lighting engine of A Thief's End, the compact nature of the game makes it feel richer and more detailed. While the colour palette is predominantly green and terracotta, the charcoal grey caves, golden statues and sparkling turquoise pools are used for maximum impact and contrast. While there is a stylized, almost hyper-real quality to the textures and colouring, the lighting system brings a stunning sense of tangibility and physicality to these assets. Likewise, Chloe and Nadine's nuanced facial animations are often unnervingly real, even while the characters look slightly cartoonish. While I did find some of the dialogue quite touching and I did have a lump in my throat when Chloe realises what her father had hid from her and why, it is the sheer sensory pleasure of the game which stuck with me from my first playthrough and which most affected me again this time around. 
The peach Melba sunset as you race alongside the train, the moment you first see the colossal elephant statues and the waterfall, it's one dazzling photo op after another. At a time when most of us are stuck within the four walls of the home or the office, even more so than usual, Uncharted Lost Legacy proved the perfect escapism. Nice. Nicely put. Yes, uh, I certainly got a good sense of that huh. yesterday, this weekend. And now even more succinctly in just three words. Pixel Hunted says, getting kind of repetitive. Matthew Lawrence, no more Sam. Ben McSkelly says, free from filler. Connor Hawks says, life after Drake. Tom Hayward says, didn't miss Nate. Sam Tick, welcome protagonist upgrade. Eric Jones says, Chloe Nadine dialogue. Silent Fanatic says, photo mode gold. Mehmet says, supreme naughty doggets. Okay, and yeah, just for us to summarise in the usual fashion, a recommendation or not, let's start with, I think we're all in a similar place. I'll start with Jay. Um, yeah, definitely a recommendation for me. Um, it, I, I enjoyed it, as I, as I have done with all their games. I look forward to seeing where they go next. I'm sure that they, they, they're not done with an Uncharted game. I'm really curious if they bring back some other characters that have appeared in past games. I'm really calling out for Charlie Cutter to make a reappearance. Oh, yeah. Because I kind of liked him. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I feel like, you know, this new dynamic they've got uh, has, you know, they might have started with this sort of, um, sort of expansion shortened version but I, I i'm fully confident they could totally deliver on a, a on a full size game with these two characters and and all the rest of it so i'm kind of on board with wherever they go i mean you know we're a at the, at the point of recording we're a couple of weeks away from the naughty dog's next release so i'm kind of really they always kind of impress me in, in terms of when, when you're playing each game you're kind of looking forward to thinking oh where they're going to take you know what they're going to i was convinced that there was going to be dogs in the next game after the ending of uncharted 4 with the dog stuff and and all that kind of stuff so i'm i'm, I'm always excited they're a developer that i'm excited to see where they go because i think they they are caught top of their game in terms of the tech in terms of um a lot of aspects of what they do, not necessarily game design. A lot of it feels like it's we've been there and done this kind of stuff before, but they do it so well that it's. I always find it fun to play. So, yeah. Thanks, Jay. Me next. Yes. Uh, I don't think anyone would argue that Uncharted is a sort of purist, hardcore gamers game in some, you know, purist sense, whatever. It is a, did I say purist twice there? Um, adult brain. But I do get a lot of fun out of these games. I continue to. I've played through each of them more than once now, apart from four, which is maybe telling, or maybe it's just that I haven't had as much time as that one takes to play through more than once. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I think it was yeah expertly summed up by Stanshaw and Jay there that these games provide a good amount of escapism and fun and spectacle. And even though there is a, a larger dose of violence within the games. They are kind of hyper real. It's not really, it, it's certainly as, you know, as grim as say the last of us gets, these are very much more in the 
kind of Hollywood action tradition, Indiana Jones and so on and so forth. National Treasure, I mentioned it twice. I've never seen that film actually. Yeah, I come away thinking mainly about the sort of visual spectacle, but yes, also the the moment to moment leaping about, swinging about. We didn't even mention the rope swinging, which is carried over from Uncharted 4. Uh, and yeah, general capers and tomfoolery abound in a ridiculously lush and uh, yeah, gorgeous sounding environment as well. So particularly for the the money that you can get this game for now, um, it really feels like a no brainer for anyone who isn't overtly wedded to you know, deeply complex or cerebrally intellectually stimulating games. If you are happy with a bit of fairly lower brain popcorn that word keeps coming up entertainment then uh, this is a great choice and yes i would definitely i'm i'm all for the industry continuing to pursue shorter but cheaper and more quickly developed products uh, this mm. suits me very well indeed brian yeah uh just uh, i'm going to be a lot of echoing here but um uncharted lost legacy is uh it's probably not probably it is my favorite um in the series I I like how streamlined it was. It was brought up a, a lot of times. I just I the thing that stands out for me is this game's protagonist. Not, and it wasn't that I didn't like Nathan Drake, um, but he's just such an uh, he's just such a video game protagonist. And and Chloe and Edine were a breath of fresh air. They were um, well written, well acted, and were just characters I wanted to spend more time getting to know. Um, there's a great moment in the open world section we talked about a lot, um, where they're driving in a Jeep together, and uh, Nadine is asking Chloe, like, were you romantically involved with Nathan Drake? And she's like, well, sort of. And, and Chloe just goes, how could you stand that guy? Or excuse me, Nadine goes, how could you stand that guy? And Chloe's like, oh, well, he was fun, but he's dumb. And like, there's kind of talking about him in the way that like, I always kind of thought about him in those games. And like it just that moment just spoke to me because it was just they were kind of just jokingly saying all the things that we had all kind of thought about Nathan Drake and and kind of how silly and over the top he was. Um, and it to me, that whole moment just symbolized symbolized the moment where this game had moved on from him had moved on from that era of Uncharted. And I really appreciated that. And I think it's absolutely worth playing. Uh, you should pick it up for sure. Um, and uh, I think that especially now to to echo um stanshaw's correspondence it is a nice bit of fun to engage with right now with the way everything is in the world so um so yeah no couldn't recommend it more as long as you don't get into the indian politics of it <laughs> which is okay because the game doesn't bother <laughs> uh let's conclude with josh one piece of criticism um that i find really irksome and you find this in in game criticism and and film criticism equally um mm. is when for example people say a ah, film should only be two hours long and that's it and i find yeah. that really yeah. frustrating mm -hmm. because there are so many experiences that either that can benefit from the longer the longer length that being said I do think there is wisdom in understanding just how far you can stretch an idea and it still feel, um, everything still feels worthwhile. So A Witcher 3 can be 80 hours long and feel like, and every hour of that 80 hours feels necessary for what that game is going for. And this game can be six to seven hours long and everything feel necessary for for uh, what this game is going for. 
And like we were talking before about comparing this to Uncharted 4 and, uh, you know, directly because they share assets, et cetera, et cetera. I think this game hugely benefits from the the lower uh, lower playtime. And I hope if there's a lesson that Naughty Dog take forward is understanding that 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 lower play length is not a negative sometimes it actually aids the pacing of the game and aids the experience of the game especially something like this which is a you know it's a popcorn roller coaster ride it needs to feel breakneck it needs to you know you, you don't give your your audience long enough to to think about <laughs> the implications of what's going yes. on to yeah. think about the horrors that are being committed because that's not the experience you're going for you're you're not going like a last of us that length makes sense because you want to revel in the horror a little bit but here it's all just popcorn silliness and um yeah even though i think um a lost leg the lost legacy doesn't quite have the the pathos and the emotionality if that's a word of <laughs> uncharted 4 i yeah. think like that that game um there are moments with elena and and nathan drake and uncharted 4 that i found really genuinely moving but it makes up for that in sheer slickness and polish. Um, I think it's an incredibly efficient machine of a game. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of my favorites in the series. Highly recommend it. Nice. Thanks, Josh. So that brings us to the end. It remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, Jay and Joshua, as well as our correspondents and to you for listening. And to tell you that next time in issue 422... A successful Kickstarter, Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon, and Ritual of the Night.